Christianity involves a worldview, a perspective or general picture of reality as a whole, and a conception of how individuals are to relate to the world considering this perspective. This includes all cognitive functions, behaviors, emotions, relationships, will, and how you relate to God. How we interpret Scripture will be affected by how we conceive of God. Welcome to God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship, with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enlow. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate that. Welcome back to God's Love Language with Joe Enlow. For some reason, it feels as though I have not produced a podcast in months. But today, we're going to be beginning a new series called it is not about you, but you can reap the benefits. And basically, living this life on earth is not for you, but for the glory of God. Everything you do while here is meant to develop you into a Christian that, through your life on this earth, reflects glory back on your Creator. And when you finally make it to the back, excuse me, when you finally make it to the afterlife or the other side, then you can get rewarded for what you did here. You also get to receive the blessings of God while living a life devoted to God while you are here on earth. Basically, you can, God will give you favor while you're living here on earth if you're living for Him. Jesus is the example of that mission. The living out of that mission is what brings you the added joy, fulfillment, and meaning all humans seek while here. You can only be fulfilled, be fulfilled if you are accomplishing the mission you were sent here to do. Satan knows this and is attempting to skew your vision and purpose so that you come short of what God has planned for you. It is spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. Let us back up a little bit here, and I will kind of show you how this works out. I'm going to back up and let you see this in action. All right. If you have checked out our website, godslovelanguage.com, then you have seen what we have said about God's purpose for creation and our purpose for being here. To fully understand what our purpose here on earth is all about, we must look at the history of God and our creation as we know it. We first encounter God in Genesis 1-1, where he has already created the heavens and the earth, which include the creation of matter, space, and time. All created from nothing. God spoke it and it happened. Then he went on to perform the first six days of creation and establish order out of chaos. Now understand this. God was purposeful and precise in all that he has created. And all that he created was good and expected to perform certain functions in the whole of all creation. Including the creation of all angels and other heavenly spiritual beings. We'll talk more on that in the future lessons. God was not wasteful, and he did not create at random. Everything created has a purpose. God created each angel individually and gave them a certain task, mostly as messengers. That's what the word angel means. But they do not procreate. He created the first man and woman individually, but then ordained them to procreate after that. In fact, man was given two functions 
or duties. One, to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. And two, to be fruitful and multiply. Why these two commands? Did God need man and the angels to get the work done? Could not God take care of the planet? After all, he seemed to either dwell here in the Garden of Eden or visited it frequently. As a side note, we will explore later a habitat of a god in mythology, or even our, our god usually was found in a garden or a mountaintop or sometimes both. Eden was the dwelling place of God on earth. Now, let us explore what it means to be made in the image of God and our reason for being created. This will lead us to why he gets the glory. In the next section, I am going to borrow many of my ideas from the book by Michael S. Heiser, entitled The Unseen Realm, Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible, from Lexham Press. Many individuals, including theologians, will interpret the image of God to mean things like having intelligence, emotions, reasoning ability, language, communication ability, having a soul and self-awareness. As Dr. Heiser says, the problem with defining the image of God by any of these qualities is that, on one hand, non-human beings like animals possess some of these abilities. Although not the same extent as humans, even the soul idea fails the uniqueness test. Man became a living soul, but so did the animals. In Genesis 1.20, when God made living creatures, the Hebrew for creatures means soul. In Genesis 1.30, God gave to all living creatures, or animals, a living soul. So, having a soul is not what makes us unique, uniquely in the image of God. There is the pro-life assertion also. If being in the image of God, being a human being, were just the attributes described, a zygote or fetus would not be classified as in God's image or a human being because they do not meet any of the qualifications. A zygote, a conception, does not have intelligence, reasoning ability, emotion, self-awareness, or language ability. It cannot ex- exercise its will or respond to its conscience. It could be argued that these are potentials, then that means you only have a potential person, and that is the argument of the pro-choice position. The person, especially at conception, is only a potential person based on these attributes of what it means to be a human. So then, what makes us in God's image? What prevents us from being able to abort a zygote and later a fetus because of its position in God? According to Dr. Heiser, and I agree, Hebrew grammar is the key. The turning point is the meaning of the preposition in with respects to the phrase in the image of God. In English, the preposition in does not always mean the same thing. It can mean a location, like in the closet. It can mean a result, like I broke the cup in pieces when I dropped it. If I say I work in education, I am using the preposition to note that I work as a teacher, a principal, or some other educational capacity. The last example directs us to what the Hebrew preposition translated in Genesis 1.26 means. Humankind was created as God's image, as God's image. If we think of imaging as a verb or function, that translation makes sense. We are created to image God, to be his imagers. It is what we are by definition, what we are by definition. Image is not an ability we have. 
but a status. We are God's representatives on earth. To be human is to image God. God intends us to be him on this planet, and we are to create more imagers, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, in order to oversee the earth by stewarding its resources and then harness them for the benefit of all imagers, subdue and rule over. As the angels and other created beings in the heavenly realm function as administrators there. We were created to function as administrators, or act as his representatives here on earth, as in heaven, so on earth. God created his own imagers, humankind, male and female, to rule and reign with him. After the fall, that plan was not altered. That is what Eden was about, as in heaven, so on earth. Okay, before we go any further, let me say this. By the way, I will borrow many of the following thoughts from Dwight Edwards and his ministry, Revolution Within. God does not need man or angels to accomplish anything. What matters most to God is God. God's greatest commitment is to his name. He does not get lonely like we do. He does not get tempted like we do. The rules that apply to the the creature, us, do not apply to the creator, God. The highest and most valuable good in the universe is God himself. He is the greatest reality, and God gave the gospel primarily to rescue his reputation. The New Testament brings additional glory to God. His creations were made to glorify him, share in his love, and share in his gifts. He is a loving God, and he he desires to share that love, so he created humans with free choice to either abide in that love or choose death. You were created for a purpose, living a life, doing anything but, and you are living a lie. A substitute and deficient lifestyle is what that would be. That is exactly what Satan wants you to do. That is his job. If he, can, if he cannot prevent you from being a believer, he will get you to live a lesser life on earth and try and steal God's glory. What exactly is the glory of God? The glory of God is his weightiness, the heaviness of God in appearance and reputation, his shockingness and overwhelmingness. Basically, what we're saying is there is no adjective to describe him. His glory is beyond description. We just know he receives this glory. It is all about him, his glory, his name, his fame, and we have the privilege of being able to bring glory to his name by our obedience to his will. His desire for our lives We were created for God's glory, and that is why the greatest favor we can do for ourselves on earth is to fall in line with our design. You must do what you were created to do. The animals do their part. Why can't we? You must lose sight of yourself and become intoxicated with the living God. That is a win-win situation. God's desire to be glorified and my desire to be satisfied are not at odds with each other. God never asks anything from us that he is not first deposited in us. Here's a modern way of putting it. What is your worldview? Your worldview. 
What is the guiding philosophy that you live by, at least for the major decisions of your life? What is a worldview, you, you may ask? According to some, there are several worldviews, and they usually try to answer questions like, what is real? Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is the basis for my values? Why does the future, or what does the future hold, etc.? Simply put, a worldview is a particular philosophy of life, our conception of the world, usually involving our beliefs about God and creation. Christianity involves a worldview, a perspective or general picture of reality as a whole, and a conception of how individuals are to relate to the world considering this perspective. This includes all cognitive functions, behaviors, emotions, relationships, will, and how you relate to God. How we interpret Scripture will be affected by how we conceive of God. You should believe that God is in charge and nothing happens on this earth without His knowing. Just keep that in mind as we continue. If you consider yourself a Christian, your worldview is laid out for you by the Word of God. A particularly good book to start with is the book of James. James lays out the basic behaviors a Christian should live by. I would then suggest you get a grasp on the book of Romans after that. But here is a major issue. You cannot be a part-time Christian. You can't be both for God and for the world. We have put it this way in our podcast. Christianity is not a hobby, but a lifestyle. Too many Christians are part-time. You go to church on Sunday, play Christian on Sunday, and maybe a couple of them more days a week, but you are not totally devoted to Him. You may think you are. Granted, this mindset takes time to change to, being totally Christian full-time, but God wants you to humble yourself, put aside your pride and selfish desires, and let Him provide the mission and the marching orders, as we'd say in the military. God has a design, only He can fulfill it in you. Remember what Jesus said we must do to follow him. We must deny everything else and take up our cross daily. Be willing to forsake everything else. Now, do not think he called you to actually do this, but you must be willing to do this if asked or if a decision is required. It is an inward conviction, an attitude of your body, soul, and spirit being. That is the attitude that God works with, the one he wants to develop in you. He can work with that. You must change. You must be required. You are were created by him. He put you in that human body to accomplish something. Why would you want to live any other way? How would you you can't you can't discover yourself by living in the world, by living in and giving warmth and feel good stuff to your human body. You must be living by the Spirit of God, by your spirit. And you say, wow, Joe, I'm a Christian, but is not that a fantasism to to want to live that extreme? I mean, come on, you got to have a break. we got to enjoy this life while we're here, right? Well, here's the bottom line. Your worldview should be, as we discuss in our series of Renewing the Mind, obedience to God, His Word, and instructions. The Word is clear. I challenge you to read each book of the New Testament, and try not to find a directive, either implied or overt, to do the will of God. You can't read those books without seeing that God has called you to do His will. 
to do his what he desires for you. Jesus is our example. If you're a Christian and we know he did the will of the Father, remember, it is not about you but bringing glory to God's name in creation on earth as it is in heaven. Putting your desires and family before God is not totally living for him, but you will find that as you put him first, he takes care of your desires and family. You came from him. You are a spiritual being placed into a physical body for training, for discipleship, for his glory. When you help train others, not just in your family, you are training yourself to teach it once is to have learned it twice. Okay, we're just getting started on this subject. Next time, we will continue our discussion on It Is Not About You and begin looking at some of the resources for living totally committed to God and His glory. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter, or if you would like to leave a comment, go to GodsLoveLanguage.com, or you may email Joe at jnlo at GodsLoveLanguage.com. All right, it's a little time for some music therapy. Thank you, Lord. Don't get down on yourself. We are all learning how to do this. We all struggle with living for God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we ask that you touch all the individuals listening today. Help them. Strengthen them. Show them how to live for you. Send your Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us. Heal our families. Heal dissension in our families. Heal our families from physical problems. Heal this nation. Return us, or turn us to a glory that has never been seen before in this nation. Make this a godly nation for you. We love you, Lord. Clap your hands, folks. Come on. Thank you, Father God. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Sway a little bit. Come on, you can do it. You're feeling good. You can't feel bad. Come on. We love you, Lord. Raise your hands. You you do it for football games. You do it, you did it for the World Series. You do it for concerts. Come on, do it for God. Let people see you and ask, what are you doing? Why are you so happy? Thank you, Lord. Bless this time. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. You're glorious. Yes. Hello to my friends. Thank you. Oh, God, you're so good. We love you. Teach us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We lift you up, magnify you. Make us like Jesus. Make us like Jesus. 
more and more. Thank you. Bless you, Lord.